Welcome to Greenhouse Grower to Grower, the podcast where we talk to growers from across the greenhouse industry about market trends, innovation, their biggest challenges and opportunities, and more. I'm Brian Sparks, editor of Greenhouse Grower. In Greenhouse Grower's January issue, which was all about the bright future of floriculture, one of the topics we explored was how growers approach technology, and in particular, how they can make the right choices on when and why to invest. This gave me the chance to catch up with Abe and Art Van Wingerden, co-owners of Metrolina Greenhouses. The article in the January issue offered a taste of our conversation, and now is your chance to hear the entire discussion. I started out by asking Art how and why Metrolina considers itself an early adopter of technology. Yeah, and I'd say Dad was the main one that pushed that. Uh, you're just trying to take as much work out of it as possible. So the, the day-to-day tasks that were just, you know, repetitive and people didn't love doing. Uh, but also like the first thing we really got big into is the the planters, the tran- automatic transplanters. Yeah. And there was making sure everything was planted the same depth, the same everything, because you got 20 people on a line planting stuff. Well, they're all going to plant at different levels and you, you want stuff at the same level, uh, number one. But number two, you know, once we, at that time when we were doing it, we probably had three different production lines. Today we have 14 production lines. So when we're busy, we need to put, if we're going to do it by hand, we're going to have 20 people on a line. So now 14 lines, 20 people, we need 280 people to make those lines run. Plus we still got to, you know, do the shipping, do the spacing, do everything else. So it's definitely more of a labor savings and a labor availability as well. And Obviously, a good thing because labor availability today is even tougher than it was 30 years ago when we first started down that road. And, and yeah. yeah, I know you've heard Dad say, it was, it, automate or stagnate. So that was always his thing on, hey, we're going to try things. If we got a, I got a million-dollar basket machine that's still sitting back there that uh, Dad wanted to do everything. Put the saucers in, put the baskets down, fill it up with dirt, put the plants in, put the hangers on, and it lasted two weeks. Uh, he's like, yep, well, I learned how it didn't work, so on to the next thing. Yeah. And that was just his attitude just about, you know, innovation and technology. And today, you would do, you know, maybe it might not be transplanters and things like that, but it might be a GTL, a grower task list. And we actually time everybody on what they do, and we tell them this is how long it should take. These are the standards that we have set. And, you know, we've done that in both locations now. We've gone from right over 600 hourly associates full-time to today we're under 500 and we've added 40 acres on in the last three years. I think, you know, uh, it's not that we were geniuses and figured out the labor market is going to get tight in the year 2020 because of a global pandemic. We, We didn't know that in the year 2000 or 1972 when we started, but what we did know was there are jobs people hate to do. And anything we can do with innovation to take jobs that people hate to do, because guess what people do on jobs they hate to do? They quit. Uh, And that quit and that lack of retention makes it very difficult to run a going enterprise. Uh, And so for us, our ability to retain good employees is predicated on their belief that we want to eliminate jobs that people hate to do. And so it's a little of a belief pattern you establish internally and then everybody starts thinking, how can I eliminate jobs that people hate to do? Because everybody's a part of that solution. They know know we've grown and we pay more per hour and we've been able to expand our base of uh, workers because of that that concept. So it wasn't like we knew labor availability was going to be there or not be there. We, uh, you know, we were one of the first ones to uh, introduce uh, biomass boilers, wood boilers in the system. 
Well, the year we introduced that, uh, gas was real high. We looked like geniuses. Within two years, gas dropped 50%, and now the wood boiler proposition didn't look as smart. But over the 15 years we've been doing it, it's worked out very well for us because the gas market ebbs and flows, and we've been able to uh, find a heating source through technology that's uh, stable. Uh, it's consistent year over year and doesn't lead to a lot of uh, hand wringing and wondering every year where oil's going to be. So, so I think there's just a couple of examples how uh, it, you set some principles and you set some uh, uh, beliefs that that kind of set a standards for you as you move forward. Yeah, you know, you use the word smart there, Abe, and it made me think. You know, there's being an early adopter is one thing, but being smart about where you're putting your investment into is another thing. You can't just throw a bunch of money into so many different things and expect everything to work out. So how do you guys approach that whole decision-making process and what's really going to make the most sense for you guys? Even if it's something that you may be hearing, this is going to be the next big thing that's going to save the industry millions of dollars. Well, somebody's got to really figure out that's going to be the truth or not. Yeah, I think it's a balancing act. Uh, you know, we do some traditional ROI analysis, but we don't let that take us over the cliff. We also do some very instinctive things, but we don't let that take us over the cliff either. So so it's got to be a balance of that instinct, uh, what you learned from, and Art talks about this a lot, going around to other greenhouses and going around to other industries. Uh, I was just three weeks ago at Walmart's new e-fulfillment center in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I don't know if we got a plan idea out of that, but we got some ideas that, oh, wow, how they run their production lines there works a little different. They also, and here's our the largest corporation in the world, most technically advanced corporation in the world, and they've taken some robotic parts and taken them out and said humans do that work better than the robots do. So, so I think it's this uh, concept of Art and I aren't in a, it's robots or die. You know, it is like, no, the, in some cases, technology or, or, or automation in certain facets isn't a solution. The human is the solution. And so we have to take humans as part of that solution process. And I think too many times we get caught up at uh, cultivating places like that. What's the new uh, automatic transplanter machine? What's the new robot? What's the new this? And sometimes you have to balance that all out and realize there are some uh, jobs and things that people do better than the current automation that's available in the marketplace. And so I think that was something we learned just, you know, it wasn't like I saw a new robot and we brought it home. It was like, no, people people can do some of this work just as well as automation. You just have to think through it each time. Right. Spacing robots would be one of them that we were an early adopter of spacing robots. And then after about four years, we're like, wait a minute. We still have two people out there making sure the robots are running. We can space it faster than the robot is doing it. So we we went away from that. So that doesn't make mean robots are bad. It's just like a sticking machine. You have you have ISO and you have yeah you, know, you have auto sticks, and then you can stick it by hand. So you can. There's a lot of ways to do it. You got to figure out what's best for you and your greenhouse. And it's like Abe said, you know we we do travel around. We travel around to. Europe to see what they're doing because, you know, obviously in Europe, your greenhouses, they grow one item, one size, and they grow 10,000 a week. They ship 10,000 a week. They space 10,000 a week and they sell 10,000 a week. So they're going to figure out how to get most of the labor out of it. But what Abe was talking about, your early adoption of technology, your dad obviously was into that, but it was also if we could take labor out. So take this labor that people don't like doing, take that out give them a better job, then it's exactly what Abe said. They're going to want to stay with you. So if they got to space plants for their whole career, they're not going to do that. But if we figure out a way to do it better, 
and they see that, then they're going to say, hey, that's a place that I want to work because I can make more money there. I can make a good living for my family. But it's also something I enjoy doing because in the end, yes, we all work for money. We, we all do. But you got to enjoy what you're doing. If you don't enjoy it, you're, you're not going to find you're not going to find success in it or fulfillment. Yeah. So, you know, th there's technology that, I mean, that we know that a lot of growers are always looking for, you know, what is the next thing? What's the next innovation? And it's anything from transplanting to, to sticking technology to, to lighting systems. There's also, you know, coming down the road, data and AI tools and, you know, things that, you know, I don't know if this industry yet has a full grasp on, you know, how exactly could this benefit us? What are some of the things that you, you guys are looking at long-term that may not be here yet, but you guys are saying to yourselves, okay, five, 10 years down the road, we need to make sure that if we're not using this, that we've got a good familiarity with how it could potentially benefit what we do. Yeah, I, th I think that, uh, you know, people use and throw well the word AI very loosely. Uh, you know, it's AI is a word like technology. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So even within AI, you have the generative part of AI where people say, hey, build me the newest plant and here comes chat GTP and it does its thing. The main part of AI for us is around the predictive analytics. It's taking data from years of doing things and saying, hey, the last 10 times we did this, here's the solution nine times out of 10 that was the right solution. So why do we have to hopefully assume that Arter Abe's gonna remember that solution every year and tell us again? So, so how do we become more predictive in how we do things with data? And it's not cool and sexy like a new transplanter is on the show floor. Uh, you know, it's going to be a TV screen and a laptop. And so you're like, it, it's harder to see. But I think that ability to do predictive analytics is, is just a huge part of what we do, both in the data from our uh, sales, which is a big part of how we all started this, but also in the repetitiveness of tasks that we have in the uh, in the enterprise. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think, uh, hey, the last times, last 10 times it was 72 and sunny, it took six weeks to propagate this impatient. Well, you know, the next time it's 72 and sunny, we might want to go ahead and apply six weeks as the, uh, as the, uh, uh, as the number. And, and too many times we're counting uh, Joe or Bob or Sarah to remember that and, and have that tribal knowledge. And so we're trying to take all this tribal knowledge, put it into a predictive analytics data set and make it something that's repetitive. And we can go off and work on the innovation because most innovation doesn't happen because people don't have time to work on it because you're worried so much about the day-to-day -day and, and you're hand-wringing over a decision that's probably, as Art calls it, 95% of the time every, every year we're doing the same 100 tasks. You know, is that rinse repeatability? Uh, but we wring our hands and overthink stuff and, and technology could give us that answer because we've given that answer to the machine and the machine then spits back that, uh, that information. So I, I think that's a big piece. And we, we tell our team, uh, you're not gonna get replaced by AI. You're going to get replaced by someone who knows how to do AI. So don't so learn learn how to do this and learn it's just coming and we have to be a part of it and and you need to learn those skill sets if you want to remain a viable uh, part of the enterprise. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. I was I was actually going to use the ninety five percent rinse and repeat. Uh, Abe knows all my lines, but uh, you know because that's what it is. So much of our work is just the same thing over and over again. Uh, you know, we do a count of the greenhouse every week sounds a little little dumb but we physically count it and we've had that running for seven years and it's amazing how close it is year over year over year over year you know the same percentage fullness you know every time and we just gotta you know, make sure you know we are finding still looking for those tasks that people don't like doing and figure out how to automate those uh and it's like Abe said 
a lot of this is not automation and tasks because I would love to have an automatic labeling machine, automatic tagging machine. So it puts tags in the slots of a pot. Sounds easy, but then we change the tags every year. So it's not as easy as it looks. And then to put 12 tags in a pint tray when we're running 10,000 an hour through it, well, you got to have four of those machines in. Well, then it's really not worth it. So that, that's the things. And you got to make sure, you know, or we got to find what a farmer has. He has a combine that he uses four weeks a year. But if he doesn't have that, he can't make the business work. And, you know, we got to make sure we're out in front of those things and seeing what, what is out there uh, to do. You know, the next transplanter we get will be a vision transplanter that looks at every plug before we plant it. So when it comes out of the machine, it's 100% full. That'll save four people on every line. But we're going to try one, see how it works, and make sure it works for us the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. So w- when you look at the future of technology innovation, so you know, I mean, there's your company and you guys addressing what, what your needs are and developing those solutions. You know, There's also the, the role that the supplier plays in making sure that they're in tune with what your needs are so that you, know, you guys are working together. They're developing something that you need and vice versa. So how, how can this industry better facilitate that process where you've got growers and suppliers working together to make sure that they're on the same path together, developing the right innovation? Communication. If you're not communicating with your vendors, then you'll never find out what they really want. And I, I tell those guys that all the time. And it doesn't matter what, whether it's a greenhouse innovation, so a building innovation, if we're not talking to our vendors or our vendors are not talking to us and they're trying to come up with it on their own, they're not going to come up with the right idea. There's nothing against them. They, they don't live and breathe this every day to know what we need. So be in contact with your, with your main suppliers, with your main customers, so that you can figure out the next great thing. MX Greenhouses, you know, our grandfather actually had that figured out in the mid to late 70s. But nobody adopted it because it wasn't the right time. So then when it came back around in the late 80s, early 90s, then it was the right time. And we got with vendors. And now, you know, most of the greenhouses that are built have some type of MX ventilation in it, whether it's one out of three roofs, one out of two, or every one. We can argue those semantics for that. You know, we're not we're not going to get into that argument. But it's to me, it's communication. That's the biggest key uh, to business business to business on things. If Abe never communicated with Lowe's, Depot, at Walmart, they don't know the next best idea. They're going to come up with it and tell you what the next best idea is instead of us showing them the next best idea. Whether we do that with HGP, whether we do that with our uh, trial gardens or whatever it is, that's where the innovation is. So the innovation is Abe showing, and that's what we need to do, make sure to do with our vendors. So communication would be my one word on that yeah and i think you know call it communication collaboration whatever it may be uh i don't think we've ever gone to cultivate and bought a machine off the show floor and i don't think we ever will because <laughs> no machine works perfect for everybody i believe the best vendors and suppliers are ones who understand this industry is broken off into three groups and that's okay you got large growers medium growers and small growers and technology, these same technologies does not fit for all three growers. I, I think I've given a number of speeches where you try, and I've gone with Lloyd Traven and a few others and trying to say, hey, this same technology can work both for big and small growers. That's only true if that's adapted for that big or small grower. Uh, and so when we, you know, I, I look at the best ones out there 
and they're ones who can provide solutions for all three levels of growers. Uh, and I think that's important because that transplanter that I was talking about won't work for someone doing 5,000 of everything. It works for the grower doing 100,000 of about 20 things. Uh, and so, but I know certain vendors can provide solutions for all three levels of growers. And that those are the ones that are successful because they're working solutions for all three. And I think that's the way we have to look at it. We kind of want to have this, you know, one size fits all approach. And I think that's the collaboration and communication should be one size fits all, but it has to be right for your business. You know, I'll give one more question to each of you. And I mean, just from the limited amount of time we've talked here, I mean, I could probably fill three or four pages of the <laughs> issue of our issue with this. So this is great. This is always super helpful. Um, you know, again, going back to the overall theme of the bright future of floriculture, I'll ask each of you just that question. What excites you the most about the future of this industry? Yeah, not, Brian, I've, I've uh, told this line before. Uh, I used to work at Procter & Gamble, and uh, I knew I, I, I was in paper towels and toilet tissue. And if you want to do some math, 98, 99% of people use toilet tissue. I don't know what the other 1% do. Uh, only 60, even with the 20 million new gardeners we've obtained in the last three years, it's still only 66% of households actively garden. I, I look at that as like whiteboard canvas space of growth that we as an industry, if someone says we're mature uh, industry, we're a maturing industry. I don't, I don't disagree with that, but we, you know, in any true mature industry, there are three players left. Uh, think of FedEx, um, uh, UPS and DHL. Think of Coke, Pepsi, and one other guy. Think, you know, you get two or three dominant players. That's a mature industry. We're not even close to that. Uh, we have six big growers, and those six big growers do 20% of our uh, entire industry, but that's only 20%. So we are so far away from what traditional business folks tell you a mature industry is, both with our penetration only being at 66%, and we don't have two dominant players who are kind of defining everything for the industry. So there's so much innovation out there that can come from all these growers. But I just look at that white space of uh, of people involved in gardening and beautifying their home because it's not really gardening. It's really beautifying your home. And to me, it gives us huge opportunity to go figure out what those 33% aren't doing, why they're not, and how we can engage them. Right. And my, my would be similar to that. Uh, I'll go a little little different is that we're building you know over a million homes a year in this country. There's still a lack of housing. Uh, so that's that's a million new people that are coming into our industry every year, possible you know, a million possible new customers. The person who probably told you that we're a maturing industry were probably a bunch of 60 and 70-year-olds that are still owning their business, and they're not sure if their kids want to take it over. So they were mature people uh, in age and, and mature people in our industry. But our, yeah, our industry, I think our brightest days are ahead of us. They're not behind us, uh, and you know I love being in this industry. It's fun. Uh, we get to beautify people's homes. We get to grow something that changes every day, uh, that looks different. Uh, you know, what we're putting in front of the customer today, comparative to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago, is unbelievable. Now, some people might say we put too much, too many different things in front of customers, and that's for the customer to decide what they like and what they want to buy. You know, they have a lot more decorators, like Abel was saying, you're decorating your home. Uh, there are more people that are decorating their homes with flowers than there used to be. And that, you know, I look at Europe and the way Europe sells plants, we're nowhere near the penetration that Europe has in America. 
So that's why I think our brightest days are ahead of us. You know, and, and to one of your points there, it's like, you know, and this is nothing against in the folks that we've had long-term connections with, you know, whether it's the big growers, whether it's researchers or whatever, but that's part of this, what we're trying to do going forward is, you know, within each of these operations, you've got, you know, the business owners have been there for a while. Who's part of the next generation at those companies that, you know, is going to keep emerging as a leading player in this industry? Again, on the research side, who were some of the newer researchers that you're hearing a little bit from now, but, you know, 10, 15 years from now are going to be the names that everybody goes to for information. Those are the kind of things that we're trying to continue to identify as we move forward here. So, Abe, Yeah, Abe and I are the two oldest people on our executive leadership team here at the Greenhouse. That is awesome. That's the way it should be. So, you know, we have people from, you know, in their 30s, 40s, and 50s on our on our team, and that's exciting to see. You know, we've, we, we had a few people retire over the last five years, some people that, well, we don't know what we're going to do if they retire. And it's nothing against the work they did. The work they did was great and got us to where we are. Well, we're better today than we were three years ago. Yeah, and I, th I think that that's how we recruit and bring in new leadership is to talk about innovation and AI and technology. Those are things that excite 25-year-old folks coming out of college. Uh, you know, planting marigolds in a six-pack, that doesn't sound as exciting. And so we, as a industry, have to talk about technology and innovation in a way that draws more people into our industry because it can't just be someone in their 50s and 60s. We got to get some 20 and 30-year-olds in here, and they're not going to come to plant plants. They're going to come to talk about how we change this with technology. And so that's a lot of what we're doing, too, is build, build a recruiting platform with the way we talk about the business. Yeah. Well, and it's one of the refreshing things I see too with a group like what Seed Your Future is doing. So they have their their resources page, and when I was I talk, when I talked to their team, you know, it's really interesting that you know they've got this job board that lists all the possible positions that are available in this industry. Many of them you don't have to touch or see a plant at all, whether it's technology, whether it's marketing, social media, human resources, whatever. There are roles in this industry that don't require you to have any plant knowledge coming into it or build any plant knowledge. So, you know, to your point, if, they, if you're going to build the future of the industry, I think that's the way to do it. And you still need that, that yeah, you, you know, there's people growing the plants, but. We had, we had 20 yeah, you to do a whole article. Possible. Yeah, you ought to do a whole set of articles on people who don't touch plants and who are successful in this yes. industry. That would be very, that would be very interesting, actually. It's <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You can learn more at greenhousegrower.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen.